Hi, everyone. My name is Jeanette. And my name is Hermela. Today, we are here with a new guest, Shamel Idiokitas, who's the Assistant Vice President for City and Community Affairs at Northeastern University. Today, we welcome you back for season two with the stances and perspectives of the education community in our two-box conversation. As always, we will be addressing our through-line question, can and should corporate entities play a greater role in our education? So, hi, Shamel. How hi. are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm good, too. Thanks for asking. Happy to be here. We're happy that you're here as well. So to start off, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and your role and how you got to being the assistant vice president for city and community affairs at Northeastern? Man, that's such a loaded question. Uh, how long do we have? I can talk all day. <laughs> um, but um, I've done community work, I guess, my entire life. I'm from Boston, from Roxbury. Um, so organically, I've just been interested in my community um, as a youngster, my my mom was always the volunteer type. So I was always out there, six years old, seven years old, raking leaves in the community or picking up trash. Um, and I think that type of stuff just really stuck with me as I grew older. Um, when I hit seventeen, I became a I had the opportunity to become the assistant director of a, a small uh, community camp, and I think that really like showed me the possibilities of community planning and community organizing um, and really started my trajectory in kind of this community relations, community engagement world. Um, how I got to Northeastern is is a weird conversation, but um, I've been in higher ed for a long time, uh, about 13 years now. Uh, previously, I was at BU. Um, and then that really started because I had an internship at the BPDA, which is the Boston Planning and Development Agency. Um, and that was an internship my senior year of college. Um, and that really showed me the power of planning, urban planning, city planning, organizing. Um, and I think I kind of got addicted to it. I got bit by the bug. Um, and it was like, wow, there's so much power in, in having the community be one voice. Um, and then being in these conversations um, at the agency city level and seeing how they make decisions without really talking to the community. It's like, there's a disconnect here. Um, so I was able to, to kind of leverage that job into an admin job at BU um, and then kind of grew into uh, community relations over time. Um, and after staying there for 11 years, I was sought, sought out by Northeastern uh, to lead their community relations department. Um, so, so far, so good. Been there for a year. Um, I, I love, I love the place just cause it's situated right in the urban area. Um, we're really impacting kids and, and people that look like us, that look like me. Um, so I, so I enjoy it to say the least. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. And I think yep. you brought up something that is really like honed in on like a lot of the work me and Hermela do and and how at the center of it is community. So it's really inspiring to see that that's been a catalyst for you wanting to do more and give back for the greater community, but also ones you grew up in. Um, mm -hmm. so it's really amazing. Um, if you don't mind, do you mind telling us a little bit more about what the assistant vice president for city and community affairs actually entails and like what that means um, and specifically how you interact with the greater Boston communities and neighborhoods mm -hmm. around you? Yeah, uh, well, so my my office, city and community affairs is actually city and community engagement now, change the name. Um, 
our our office is really tasked with being the eyes and ears for the community. I mean, for the university, excuse me, when it comes to the community work, um, understanding community needs, community wants, um, and then kind of about facing and looking internally about what are our resources, what are our opportunities that we can now match uh, with those needs and wants. Um, so a lot of my job is I'm, I'm such a doer. So this is an adjustment for me. I like to be like on the ground with the people and, you know, grassroots stuff. But a lot of my job as AVP is kind of being in these meetings and strategic thinking, um, kind of overarching planning. Uh, so one of the biggest things I'm working on right now is our institutional master plan, um, which stands for IMP. And it's a 10 year plan for all institutions, whether you're a hospital uh, museum, university, you have to go through this and file it with the city that you belong to every 10 years. Uh, so part of my, well, the main part of my job is to now talk to the community, find out what they, what they believe are community benefits, what they want to see as community benefits, and now turn around and talk to leadership at university, at the university level and say, here's what the community is saying. Here's what they want. They want more jobs. They want more training. They want more community space. Um, and then bake that into this institutional master plan, which is a long document that lives over 10 years. Um, so some of those examples, our last master plan was um, redoing a, a park called Carter Field. So if you know anything about Carter Field, which is in the South End, Lower Roxbury, it was kind of a dilapidated playground, dilapidated field. Um, that hadn't been getting love for for a long time. Um, and the community talked about really reinvigorating that field, adding adding more programming, adding more opportunities for the community to use it. Uh, so we work with the city on investing a hundred million dollars over 30 years to maintain the field, uh, to redevelop it, to expand it. We actually gave away one of our parking lots for that. Um, and now the field is like beautiful. It's being used every day. Uh, there's a splash pad there for the kids. Um, we have a lot of like city football games and a lot of different organizations use it daily. So that's a big win. Um, and that's part of like my job to bake in more of those opportunities for the community to access the university, whether it be on Carter Field or whether it be through like scholarships. Thank you for sharing. I mean, it definitely, it definitely looks like your job entails a lot of different moving components, so I bet you're a very busy person. Very, yeah. But I think that it's so important. You mentioned how you do a lot of direct outreach to the communities, which involves like going out, seeing what these different institutions, these, these different groups of people really need. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's so important. And the story you shared about the park is so beautiful as well. And I think just the way that you've been able to integrate like community outreach and engagement and work that into your job and the impact you're trying to make is really great. Yeah. I think, and I think it's, it's, I won't say easy. It's not easy at all, but Definitely. it, it feels, it doesn't feel like work because I'm from this community. So, you know, I'm volunteering on my off hours when I'm not on the clock. So it doesn't feel like, where we're spinning our wheels. It feels like we're actually making impact and, and making a difference to black and brown communities and to uh, BIPOC communities. So I enjoy it. Yeah, I bet that connection really helps as well. Absolutely. Perfect. Hel helps, helps the university a lot too. Definitely. <laughs> That's another thing is that we always have this question that comes up in our discussions and our conversations is like the idea of commitment. So mm -hmm. we see 
lot of institutions mm-hmm. and businesses have like this way in which they proceed towards issues and having like that plan, like a lengthy plan, like five-year plan, 10-year plan. Yeah. And that's how they sort of attack issues. Yeah. So it's interesting to see that all across the board, not just within the business community and like in a corporate mindset, but that's being like brought into the bandwidth of universities and like educational mm-hmm. institutions. Mm-hmm. I just think that's like a really like a great strategy to stay committed to a cause without it being again like just check off the box like Mm -hmm. something performative oh we're just going to give this amount of money and then that's it our hands are clean i think staying committed is something that we're constantly talking about and making sure that is is it's at the center of two blocks and and everything that surrounds it Um, absolutely mm -hmm. great that you guys are are staying on that absolutely and and i feel like you know commitment is not just giving dollars tossing around Mm -hmm. money you know commitment is actually being present actually listening you know, actually, you know, creating programs that are needed or necessary. I think a lot of times in the business world or even in the higher ed world, there are programs and there are partnerships that are cultivated, but who acts for it? You mm-hmm. know, who's who's really being impacted by this? Is it just to look good as a PR stunt or whatever the case is? But I think it's a new day in the city and the state and nationally. And I think a lot of um, businesses and institutions are realizing that money is just not the only solution. Mm, Exactly. I mean, I think you hit it right on the nail. A lot of the times right now, at least corporations are seeing like helping at the community less, more of an obligation, something that they're entitled to do, not anything that has any worth, but something that they need to do. Jeanette, like you said, to check off a box or to Mm -hmm. be performative and say that, oh, we were able to do this and that's kind of where the story ends. But really what we're working towards is trying to make sure that we're able to see past that and that the impact we're actually trying to make is benefiting the community by involving them in the decisions and making sure that the needs and wants of their people are actually being reflected in the decisions that are being made. Mm-hmm. So, And a lot of times, like with the IMP, for example, it's 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what I'm doing next year. So it's hard to forecast 10 years from now, Definitely. you know? So those documents and those kind of ideas are always works in progress. Like they, they're not just set in stone and this is what we're doing. You have to be able to be flexible, listen to stakeholders, listen to, other CBOs, community-based organizations, other community leaders to now shift your plan a little bit and assess those needs. So um, we're in a good space. You know, I think I think things are changing. Things have changed. Um, I know we're in Cambridge, but I, I look at things from the Boston lens. Um, so I, I, I know it's kind of two in the same two, Cambridge and Boston deal with some of the same challenges. Um, so I think there's, a, there's a, definitely a light at the end of the tunnel. Definitely. And I think that we're going to get to this, continue this specific aspect of the conversation a little bit later in our discussion with corporate social responsibility and Mm -hmm. then shared values. So I think we definitely should hold on to this and and get back to it in a little. Yeah. So moving on to the next question, Um, just like you said, um, we're based in Cambridge at the moment, but we understand that the tale of two cities is not unique to Cambridge. It's really experienced everywhere. Yep. So when we talk about specifically looking through the Cambridge lens, we have institutions such as Harvard, MIT, um, world-renowned 
centers and spaces such as Kendall Square, which is the most innovative square mile on the planet. But then two blocks away, we have a really economically challenged neighborhood within the city. Yeah. So how would you compare and contrast what you've seen at Northeastern to the surrounding community, whether it's Cambridge or the greater Boston area in general? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like I said earlier, Northeastern sits in like a big urban uh, community in Lower Roxbury in the South End. Um, and we abut Mission Hill and Back Bay and all these different neighborhoods that are residential. Um, and a lot of the issues I'm assuming that are happening in Cambridge are definitely happening in Boston in terms of like housing. You know, affordable housing is always a, a hot topic. Uh, student housing, you know, how are institutions kind of holding their own feet to the fire when it comes to like payment in lieu of taxes, pilot payments and stuff like that. Um, so housing is definitely one of the big things. Uh, I would say um, job creation is another thing. And I think for us, that's a big focus um, at Northeastern. We're really trying to make sure that we're creating, when we create developments, we're creating opportunities for uh, black and brown women owned businesses to now get these bids and, you know, help build these new science buildings or these new student housing. So we're supporting those businesses and employing people from the community, um, not just kind of calling the friends over and, you know, them, them recycling the money that way. Um, so I think a lot of, a lot of it is housing jobs. Um, food security is a big one um, in Boston specifically um accessing good food has been kind of a it has been an issue way before covid and i think covid really exacerbated that and really folk and put a put a focus on it um so we've partnered with a number of community organizations more specifically uh Fenway Civic Association on um bagging up foods delivering foods to seniors in the community so we do that every other wednesday actually doing it tomorrow excited about that um we do that every other Wednesday and it it it's not only an opportunity for us to get out of the office and, you know, do something good for the community, but it really shows the need when you show up with three bags of groceries for the old lady who couldn't leave her house to go grocery shopping, you know, and it's those small little touches that make a difference. Whether you wear your Northeastern hat or MIT hat, it's just a human being thing. It's a human necessity. So, um, yeah, I would say those are the three kind of issue areas in Boston and, and communities surrounding Northeastern. Um, I will say, you know, we can always do better. I think everyone can agree on that. Uh, but there are steps that we're taking to um, make sure we're a part of the solution and not the problem. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And I think that's like our through line is being a part of the solution, not just the issue or the problem. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we're all, we're on the same page with that. But I think one thing that you brought up that really stuck out to me, and we even have this within our own discussions, is the idea that we, these issues in education more specifically, there's so much overlap. And it's almost like you can think about it as a Venn diagram because Absolutely. none of these problems are like in their own, like separate buckets or isolated like silos, if you Absolutely. will. Everything is overlapping. So it's so interesting. This is something that's a personal interest of mine is just seeing and acknowledging how these problems intersect, mm -hmm. but also how they drive one another. And yep. I think that's another thing with our like 
think our whole project of two blocks is yes, we're centered on education, but we also see the effect on education on these issues and how even Kendall Square being one of the most and being the most innovative square mile on the planet, how just again, two blocks away, you have a not so innovative school district, but just two blocks away, a street over, you have so much immense gentrification and mm-hmm. income and like people living underneath the poverty line. So it's just so interesting to me to think about like, these problems seem like they're operating separately, but they're so intertwined. And once you start addressing education, it's almost like an unveiling, unmasking of a whole other amount of issues and and, and mountain of them. So absolutely. Absolutely. I I sit on the steering committee for the uh, climate justice action plan, which is, which talks about environmental justice. And we talk about just that, you know, people think about climate change and they think about it in this nuanced kind of siloed way. And it's like, no, climate change and environmental justice affects housing, affects jobs, affects transportation, affects all of these different things that we may not uh, connect them to. You know, Um, I just left the mayor, uh, Mayor Wu, and she made an announcement about a $700 million investment into the MBTA to make buses and trains free for certain communities in Boston. And it's like, we hear that and it's like, why is that important? That's important because now folks can get on the train free and get to their job on time. Um, now that allows more opportunity for more buses to be on the road. That allows more um, kids to to access these school these uh, buses to go to school on time. You know, now that falls into education. They're all overlapping issues. Um, so I, I hate to look at things in this siloed way. And I think a lot of times, you know, businesses or even higher ed institutions look at kind of transportation as one thing and climate as one thing. And it's like, no, we have to look at everything holistically. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really a main point, which is that like all of these issues end up intersecting. And especially in a city like Cambridge or you're looking at Boston, like all of these different issues, they're not isolated. They're not no. separate. There's really there's there's no one cause for any issue that we're trying to deal with and they really intersect and i think that we obviously all these issues are happening in many places around the world but one of the reasons that we're focusing on cambridge and boston is that they both have such immense opportunities i mean when you hear cambridge people automatically think harvard mit absolutely when you hear boston i mean you could think of the longfellow area mm-hmm. there's a huge healthcare industry and in general i mean it's boston it's boston yeah. so you hear that and you don't really think further than the resources and the opportunities that the city has but then you kind of like look under the surface and you see all these issues exist and just keeping the idea of Cambridge and Boston in mind and ignoring the other issues are not going to make them go away. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons we're really trying to deal with it head on. Absolutely. I mean, this is part of the solution too. Mm -hmm. talking about it. You know, I think a lot of times, you know, leaders and leadership and and these businesses and institutions don't want to talk about it. Yes. Because it's just uncovering uh, kind of the harm that has been done in the past, whether they're looking forward and trying to be better now, you still have to talk about the past in order to not replicate that in the future. Yeah, I think just to add on to that, on the idea of like metaphorical silos, I think even us as cities, like we like to operate separately. Absolutely. Even geographically, we're just like right next door to each other. Mm-hmm. There's a bridge 
like disconnecting us from each other but still like I feel like that's another issue to this problem is that we don't want to have like this a crossover and like learn from our peers in terms of like cities like Boston I know are doing a lot of amazing initiatives when it comes to education and so is Cambridge but there seems to be like okay we're even though we just have two separate like cities and different names like we cannot like coexist and I think that needs to be addressed as well and even with the higher ed space as well like I know there's a little more crossover with like partnerships and universities being able to like reach out and and use each other's resources and connections which is great but I think that needs to like perpetuate more so uh, like younger demographics and high schools and and middle schools and even like elementary as well I agree you definitely just need to like education is not something that should be done separately both in the school but also outside of the school Absolutely. So I think outside of the school we really just have to make use of our resources and and acknowledge the work that we're doing not just within our own city but outside of it outside of it yeah and amplify the work of others who are doing good work you know we don't we don't know it all. I, and I tell my team that all the time it's like we can do this program we can create this it's like that's cool but who else is doing it in the community? Can we support them? Can we amplify it if they're already doing this good work? So I totally agree. Yeah, definitely. And just final point before we move on, but I think that right now what's happening is this phenomena of many different groups trying to do the work to solve this issue. But right now it's more of a competition where we're seeing, oh, here's this program this is what we should be focusing on, blah, blah, blah. But there is so much amazing work being done that's not being highlighted or not being done in collaboration with one another. And that's resulting in the drowning out of voices who are trying to make an impact. So right now, kind of like you said, we need to find a voice or something to unify all of the leadership that's happening at the moment instead of turning this into a competition or something that's ultimately not leading towards the direction that we want it to be and making sure that the conversations that we end up creating are productive. And I know I know I'm being interviewed, but I got a question. I mean, what's <laughs> who's that voice and maybe what is that voice that you think? Hmm. I mean, if I were to add to that, I'd say one thing to definitely include are the voices of those who are impacted. So I mean, when we're talking about two blocks in general, I'd like to see student voice being highlighted. And that's kind of the work that we're trying to include as well. But right now, the decisions that are being made are at the hands of adults, people on different committees who are trying to make decisions for students who this is who are being impacted when the voices of students, what they want and what they need is not really being represented in those decision making processes, though. That's something I'd want to see, but how about you, Another thing to like add on to that is I feel like there is no one person or one institution that should be designated or should be the like middleman of this situation. I think that one voice or that one like group or what it whatnot, I think it should be everybody's voice grouped together. And Mm -hmm. that itself is one big voice. Because I feel like when you have every single demographic, and again, this is like easier said than done but i'm just saying in a perfect world if we had everybody's voices and demographics and socioeconomic class and et cetera, et cetera, represented and at the table when decisions are made i think the world would be much different than the one we're living in right now absolutely <laughs> exactly so when we're talking about education like hermela said this is something as students and that we've continuously seen is it's so astonishing to us that we have a group of people, adults who are not even in the schools, 
making decisions or thinking of what's best for us, but not actually consulting the students who are affected by these decisions or are continuously affected by past decisions that were made. And I think we've seen this trend now where we've had like integration of student voice and student like representation in these like plans and like committees and whatever it may be, but it's still minimal. And I think to the degree in which it's again, just performative, we've gotten up and said, oh, there's not enough student representation. Okay, let's add a couple seats to the school committee so students can have a seat. That's great. We're not saying that's not, but I think there's more that can be done and should be done to address that. Mm -hmm. There's a bigger step there. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely think there's like a lot of stepping stones that need to be taken. Mm-hmm. And again, change is not something that just happens overnight. So this is a step towards a solution. But I definitely think at the rate we're going now, more can be done. And I think that's what we're honing in on. Love that. I guess we'll get into our next like set <laughs> of questions. Um, so we've noticed a large disconnect between the success of Cambridge University, so MIT, Harvard, um, but we can even bridge that and, and encapsulate BU, Northeastern, et cetera, et cetera, um, and businesses in the success of primary and secondary education systems, while univor- universities and businesses can thrive without a strong local educational system. Lack of a robust and equitable primary and secondary education system is resulting in a considerable number of residents missing out on well-paying jobs and opportunities. And an example of this was in the rep- one of the reports that the Cambridge Community Foundation conducted a few years ago. Only 5% of Cambridge's Black adults work in the innovation economy. And to show this even further in this education system, um, fewer than 30% of Black and Latinx ninth graders obtained obtained a post-secondary degree of any kind within six years of graduating CRLS. So this is just at the center of our project and and, and the work that we're trying to draw attention to. wanted to ask, are you seeing similar dynamics in Boston and BPS, um, Northeastern as a whole? Do you see those like draws and contrasts being made between a lack of success for certain demographics, but then at the same time, there's still so much success going on um, in the background? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's loaded. <laughs> um, I mean, the, there's BPS definitely has identified that they need to do better by the kids. I mean, I don't know if you guys heard of the Green New Deal, which mm-hmm. is a, a initiative to uh, make buildings uh, more accessible, more green, uh, more ready for educational uh, success for students. And I think that's a major stepping stone into the right direction, you know, for kids to get a good education, to get a strong education, the facilities have to be up to par. Like there's no reason that we're building brand new buildings, science buildings and dorms and all of that while our educational system, BPS, Cambridge Public, are still sitting in classrooms that were built in 1950 or 1940. Um, and you you see the effects of that in our kids' grades and, and their educational attainment. Um, if it's too hot in the classroom and you can't focus, you can't do well. You know, if there's no AC there, you can't do well. If there's no place to play in a playground, there's no place to release and, you know, and, and come back rejuvenated into the classroom. So I think there's a lot of space for those small things to happen. And there are happening, um, for Northeastern, I think there's been, a 
conscious effort to to invest into our public school system. Um, so we've been working closely with Madison Park, uh, which is a vocational technical high school in the area, um, to really get kids on the Northeastern campus through our facilities uh, department. Um, so we're a lot, we're taking about, I think it's 10 to 15 students um, every semester and they get the opportunity to get some ex experiential learning from professionals, from plumbers, from electricians uh, to show them that there's there's still room. You still need to do good in school, uh, but there are also other avenues, whether it be trades, whether it be, um, you know, buildings and stuff like that to to really explore. And there's opportunities to be successful in those spaces. So I think a lot I think that uh, goes into post-secondary education, because a lot of times we love college. We want we want our kids to go to college, but we stifle a lot of our students, especially black and brown, with just like focusing on only college, only college. We have to show that there's a, other options. And I think those make strong individuals at the end of the day when you can see that there are other opportunities that you can um, um, reach to and there are other uh, mentors that you can, you know, reach out to. I think we make stronger people that way. Uh, once, if you're just forced to folk, to think in one, one way in one direction, um, that stifles your growth, I think, you know? Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but, <laughs> uh, those numbers, seeing those numbers written out is like, wow. Yeah. We definitely need to do better. Um, there, there is, a conscious effort, I know, I'll speak for Northeastern to really, you know, dive into post-secondary um, education and for the elementary school level kids too, like starting super early with them, um, showing them role models from our students, volunteering, reading to them, um, understanding that there's an opportunity that they may not see um, and starting that early on that they can dream and 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 take that up with them as they matriculate up. Yeah, no, I definitely like agree. And, and I think what you you touched on a couple points that I think are really like hit close to home for us in, in our initiative is the idea mm -hmm. that when we think about physically, we see all these new buildings and not just in the higher ed space, but also like in our own school districts and things like that, where buildings are being renovated and things are being changed externally mm -hmm. but the actual learning that is is housed within schools is not actually up for evaluation or up yeah. for just renovation if you will yeah. so I, that's what that's what's really striking to me is like if we care this much to make sure and yeah it's important for students to have spaces and the resources and the in the in the energy around them to do well that's just as important but i think there just needs to be a little more importance also in what are students actually partaking in what in are the they curriculum yeah and exactly and, and that whole idea like you mentioned is right now we're so stuck in this like one size fits all approach to learning that everyone is going to be molded and, and needs to go in this preset plan and that's what success looks like but as we know as we've modernized and and time has gone by that's not just maybe in the past education is like the best way to like make money or be successful whatever yeah. that may look like but i think that that notion has definitely changed and it has changed so i think we need to also be spotlighting those trajectories and those pathways for students as well because 
one student may thrive in a, in a post-secondary education and want to do that and have that aspiration, and that's totally fine. But again, that shouldn't be used against students who may not seem or feel that that's the space for them at that mm-hmm. moment time or even just in general. So I think that's another thing is just acknowledging that students are different. Learning is different for different people. And there's no like box mold of like what mm-hmm. is success and what that looks like for anybody, not just yep. like specific demographics. Yeah. And everyone moves at their own pace, you know, like exactly. we got freshmen at Northeastern that are 28 mm-hmm. and that's fine. You know, like you don't, you, you need to make those mistakes and you need to to find mentors to push you in the right direction, whatever that direction may be. Um, And I think a lot of times, like you said, it's like one size fits all, you know, once you're 18, you got to go to college, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that. Um, But I think we need to to really take this kind of overarching holistic approach of like, you know, what works for you, you know, what ticks you off, what, what makes you happy um, and really allow people to, to follow their own path. Yeah, I mean, exactly like you said, I think that the goal of the K-12 system is really beautiful because it's not trying to build a mold that students can fit in. And when they graduate from this K-12 system, they are only able to pursue one path in their life. But we're supposed to be investing in the educational system for the students. Mm -hmm. So making sure that we're offering other avenues for success and making sure that these avenues or these pathways are adaptable to what the students want to do. And I think that's really a lot of what we focus on. And a word that I just want to bring to mind is the idea of being a multi-potentialite, which is basically... I like that. Very big word. (laughs) We like to constantly refer to it. And it basically brings, discusses the idea of everybody having multiple different interests. You know, everybody's Mm -hmm. different. There are multiple things that students can be interested in, not just one um, traditional field. Maybe they're interested in STEM, but they're interested in art and design. And it could really be anything. But the idea that we're trying to create a K-12 system that can foster multi-potentialites and make sure that students aren't discouraged from going in one certain direction and are supported wherever they want to go after high school. Mm-hmm. And right now, we find that it's a problem to invest in the system in such way, and that's really what we're trying to focus on. Awesome. Yeah. Multi, multi, multi-potentialite. That's yeah. the word. You're going to have to write that out for me. I need to put that in my office. I like yeah. that. It's it's just like that idea. And I think it's it's something that's been around for a while. Not necessarily the word, but this whole like ideology mm-hmm. is that again on the notion of like one size fits all. I think even with that, students and, and just youth in general and people, that's just human nature. We all mm-hmm. have multiple interests and multiple skill sets, skill sets, excuse me. But I think we are always like confounded to making sure we can only focus on one you can only do one thing like you can't doing a million other things which i mean has its pros and cons but i think that's another thing in in, in reimagining what school looks like in the 21st century is acknowledging but also providing students with the space to be that multi-potentialite yeah you have multiple skills and now you can use all of them for one thing you don't need to say oh you just have to do this one thing or you know there's a whole whole lot of things and i think that's why i got into community to back to back up to talk about the first question. I think that's why I got into community work, you know, because be doing community engagement, community relations is really multifaceted. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. doing the same thing every single day. 
you know, one day I'm a web designer. Next day I'm a graphic designer. <laughs> the next day I'm a public relations specialist. You know, it's like there's so many different hats that I'm able to wear and I enjoy that, you know. Um, so how do we show, you know, my younger self that that that's a potential, that's an opportunity um, in itself. And that's a well-paying job as well. Yeah, definitely. And we're trying to work on that exposure aspect, making sure that students are aware of the different opportunities that they can pursue, the different jobs that they can see themselves in. And we want to make sure that there's not only a linear path to success yeah. for them, but showing them that it's really flexible and they could go wherever they'd like. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to our next question, we kind of talked about this topic a lot throughout the conversation so far, but one thing that we always come back to time and time again is the notion of accessibility. So yep. making sure that the resources that we're providing for students in the educational system is accessible for all demographics, marginalized communities, etc. So how do you and your position help make accessibility a through line in sharing and spreading opportunities? Um. I mean, accessibility is is a big buzzword that's been thrown around for mm -hmm. the past few years. Um, but I think part of like knowing success and, and understanding success is seeing success. Um, I talk to when I talk to kids a lot, I talk about being from the city of colleges and being in high school and not touching a college campus until I went on a historically black college tour, you know, and that's when I started to realize that college was kind of real. You know, how do we get to get to those kids earlier in fifth grade, sixth grade? Um, so my part of my office, we really coordinate a lot of college visits for middle school kids um, because part of, like I said, part of knowing you can be there is being there is coming on campus sitting in those classrooms, being a part of those programs like Belfour, like uh, STEM Opportunity, like Torch, all these different programs that fall out of Northeastern. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think a lot of access, part of accessibility is design as well. Um, you know, how are campuses designed, whether it be higher ed institutions or businesses, how, how are they designed? Are they designed to feel like the community is just visiting is it designed to feel like it's a welcoming place um, that they can sit and enjoy the green space with the students as well um, so a lot of that plays into it as well um, I'll go back to our master plan because this is a big conversation is um, how are we putting up barriers to experiencing uh, the campus so we're, we're we talk about taking down some of the walls, adding more public art to to walls to show that hey, this is a this is a place for you. This is a community art. Um, not using so much branded signage, uh, but having the signage be kind of I won't say ambiguous, but kind of fit within the setting of the city as well. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's there's a lot of different aspects to accessibility, uh, but I think for me is really getting people on campus, whether you're a student, whether you're an older professional, um, getting you on campus to be involved in like OSHA training or um, uh, financial workshops. I think having them there is a big part of accessibility. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think that's like you touched on the idea that accessibility can mean different things and it has like multi, it's like multifaceted. I think when we think about accessibility, we just think, okay, open the door and like let yeah. people Mm-hmm. But that's not the case, you know. There, it's 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 much more than that. So I I appreciate that you gave us some examples of what you all at Northeastern are doing, and not only just opening your doors, that's great, but actually immersing the community and having them feel like they belong. And I think that's another thing that we talk about is how many students can walk through Kendall Square and feel like they're represented, heard, and seen mm-hmm. in those spaces. Mm-hmm. So accessibility goes way further than just opening the door, opening the window, letting people see inside, but actually having them inside and and be able to immerse themselves and integrate themselves within the space. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing we did a few years back, we opened a space called Northeastern Crossing, uh, which is on Tremont Street. And that was a direct um, kind of community benefit per se uh, that came from the community. The community felt like, especially the, the housing developments that sat right across from campus, it felt like they looked out their windows and saw all these rich kids eating in the cafeteria, enjoying their fine dining, you know, while folks are in the projects, you know, making ramen for dinner, you know, or whatever the case is. So we wanted to create um, a space, which is the crossing, to really cross that bridge between the university and community. So that space is a low threshold Um no, there's no rental fee for the community. You can come have your meetings. There's also a workspace as well. You want to come in if you're working from home, you just want to get a new setting. Um, kind of there's cubicles there. You can enjoy free computer use, free printing. And I think those small touch points, those small resources uh, make a big difference. You know, mm-hmm. if I can come there and print out my resume for my job interview, that may be the make or break between me getting that job, you know? So I think, you know, we're, we're trying, we're definitely trying our best to, to create more community space and to create more access points for the community. Uh, But as I say, you know, we can always do better. I think we all can. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, Kind of like Jeanette said, accessibility can look different for different people and different groups. And in your case, it's really getting students face to face with the opportunities, the college campus, the college experience. But I think that the core of it, something that we also have to keep in mind are that it has to be systemic and transparent. And what I mean by that is that we're making sure that the opportunities that we're trying to make accessible are really as systemic as possible in the sense that they are there is a direct way and kind of like a step-by-step way of getting them to the communities, the marginalized communities, the students who need them the most. Yeah. And I think that's really important because right now you see a lot of these opportunities aren't transparent. They're gate kept, they're being gate kept mm-hmm. to students with these resources and opportunities already. Um, mainly students who fall under a demographic where they have like the knowledge and the resources, the money to be able to involve themselves in these opportunities. And on the other hand, you have BIPOC individuals or lower income students who aren't given the same opportunities. And that's why we have to make sure that the resources that we are giving them are as transparent as possible. They have the opportunity to pursue it as well as making sure that it really is, it's coming down to the idea of it being systemic, making sure that it really gets to everyone and That's, I feel like, one of the trouble points that we're experiencing and we're trying to work on. It is, yeah. Yeah, it's not these one-offs, these one-year commitments. It's it's a 50-year commitment, mm-hmm. you know? You know, how can can we get 
this young person in Northeastern and then get their grandkid into Northeastern eventually, you know? So I, I definitely agree. It definitely has to be an intentional systematic um, mm -hmm. approach instead of this reactive um, approach that I think we've all been used to over the years. Yeah. I think that like directs us to our next question um, around CSR and CSV that we talked about earlier. So we talk a lot about the Harvard Business School idea of creating shared value, which is defined as policies and practices that enhance the competitiveness of a company by improving the social and environmental conditions in the communities in which it operates. It is aimed at changing how the core business operates. So this is very different from corporate social responsibility, which is fundamentally about taking resources from the businesses and investing those resources in being a good corporate citizen. However, we've realized that educational institutions have also have the means and funding to support the greater community just as well as well as corporations can do. How do you think it will take, what do you think it will take for colleges and universities to move from a CSR mindset to a creating shared value mindset in a philanthropic lens? Yeah. Um, I mean, what will it take? It will take time. One, it's a big thing. Um Two, it will, it will take buy-in from presidents at higher ed institutions. Uh, but I'll speak for Northeastern. I mean, I think we 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 already look at things through this lens, uh, the shared value lens, especially because we're unique in the sense of we have co-ops. Um, so our co-op program, um, if you're if you're not familiar, Northeastern is a five-year college, five-year university, um, and the reason is five years because that a lot of our, all of our students take part in the co-op program, which is experiential learning. Um, so you'll take, you'll take a semester, not a semester off, but maybe a semester off from classroom work. Uh, you'll take a semester off and work in maybe Google or Meta or wherever, different organizations, different corporations in Boston and beyond. Um, what my office, City and Community Engagement done did we we looked at what are what are the challenges for community-based organizations that surround our campus more specifically uh cdcs or or organizations that deal with housing and we found that most of the challenges were paying people to work um so we like our strength is co-ops our strength is our students working why can't we create a program that now takes our students and we pay our students to now work in these organizations to help them, you know, get over that hump, whatever it may be, whether it's admin work, whether it's fundraising, whether it's creating programs, creating events, uh, you name it. Uh, so just a year and a, two years ago, we created um, co-ops and service to our neighbors, which is a huge program. And I think that falls directly under this uh, CSV model where it's we're taking our expertise, what we're good at, uh, which is co-ops, our students um, and addressing the needs in the community. And it's really a win win for both sides or for all three sides for the university obviously looks great uh, for the student. It gives them an opportunity to to learn more about the community that they're living in for five for the next five years. Um, this also gives them experience um, 
on a number of different things because a lot of students are doing different things when they work at these organizations. One mm -hmm. day they're a web designer, next day they're an event programmer, you know, so. Um, and then on the third side, the organization definitely benefits uh, because now they're adding an extra job, an extra person to really execute their vision and to bring that stuff to life. Um, so I think our co I know our co-ops are definitely our strong suit. Um, and we've already tapped into that um, through this co-ops and service to our neighbors, which is just on a second year. Um, and we're we're definitely looking to bake that into our IMP, which is going to be a 10 year plan. And right now we have seven students placed in different seven different Boston organizations. But how can we get it to 100 students or 1000 students um, to really now affect change, whether it be at BPS, whether it be at uh, CBO or different places? So um, I, I love the the shared value model. I think it makes sense. Um, outside of my um, higher ed and professional hat, you know, I work in the the music industry and, you know, work as a DJ and producer. And I think naturally when you make music, when you create products, you create art, you, you, you organically have this shared value, um, you know, idea, um, you know, this, that's the only way that art works. Honestly, everyone has to feel like they're involved and everyone has to agree on the product and everyone has to to see a benefit from all sides. So, yeah, I think that was long winded. I hope I answered your question. Um, no <laughs> and and I think this is a good good uh, position for a promo. And I think our viewers <laughs> that have been have been listening for a while now. Uh, last year we hosted our first annual Two Block Summit, and we had a very amazing conversation. So we're actually having our second annual one, which will be May 18th at the Cambridge Foundry. And the theme of this summit is Beyond the Classroom: The Impact of Experiential Learning. So oh, I think. Wow. Uh, seamlessly into it. Wow. <laughs> um, so I think that's again, please like register to attend and we'd love to have you as well, Shamel. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that I think what makes this issue so interesting is that we're doing so many amazing things in Northeastern in itself. Like mm -hmm. what other schools actually have this like full-fledged like co-op program and like co-op immersion and experience for students to to participate in and, and not a lot of schools do that. Oh. But I think it's interesting to parallel that we have all this amazingness, but how can we make sure it encapsulates a greater population and encapsulates not just students who are in college, but like you mentioned, this model, it seems like a universal thing that can be scaled differently depending on age groups and age demographics and, and all things like that. So what it would be very interesting to see something like that co-op model. And we've been talking about this where it's like, one of the graduation requirements is, oh, you must take the MCAS, you must do like this money amount, yep. this much amount of community service. What about having a graduation requirement where it's like, in order to graduate high school, you must have like one internship opportunity or one exactly. internship experience. So implementing it where it becomes a part of the sequence. It's not something like students have to go out of their way to just like, oh, 
it's involuntary. It's like you're voluntarily choosing to participate in an internship, but then like my peer sitting right across from me doesn't even know what an internship is, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's like aligned with our pathways to potential model that we've been discussing and and brought to the table multiple times and just embedding those systems and and those pre-existing like concepts that are doing amazing things for students, but also for the world around them and, and bringing that to, to other, other folks. Absolutely. Congratulations on the second <laughs> annual. That's <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, definitely you. send me more information. Would love to attend. Yeah, for sure. Of course. And kind of adding on to what you were talking about earlier, but it looks like through the model that you created yourself, first you were able to kind of identify the problem, the um, kind of issue that was present, and then that's when you started ideating what you could do about it. Mm-hmm. And I bet that that had to come with its own challenges, thinking about how you would be able to, first of all, scale the idea. Like you said, how do you get from seven students to 100 students? Mm-hmm. How do you make sure this program runs smoothly, it um, operates as effectively, effectively as it should and obviously that's going to take time and there are obstacles along the way that you're going to reach but I think that something that we also want to make sure these colleges and universities see is that perseverance is key and once you've identified what you want to solve there are going to be a lot of challenges but we want to make sure that we're able to persevere through them have the patience to see through these issues and make sure that we keep our goal in mind and that goal is that we're trying to create a solution that benefits both parties which are the students that we're trying to impact and also the educational institution the corporations whichever way you're looking at it so i think that one thing that we really have to make sure everyone sees is that this is not oh we're only thinking about this for the students or oh this only has an impact for the corporations but really on both ends of the street um there's kind of mutual impact and that's the message that we really want to through line and drive across as well absolutely absolutely no that's a good point that's a good point and i think a lot of times we miss that you Mm -hmm. know um but you know this this shared value uh model is definitely something i think is being adopted uh with a lot of different folks a lot of different companies and institutions so you're you're on the right track for sure thank you and I think with that, we are going to move on to our last question of this episode. Mm -hmm. And we hope that it can really tie together the conversations that we've had today. But we believe that educating today's youth requires multiple stakeholders, which we've been discussing. And based on your experiences, how do you think universities in particular can help promote experiential learning for younger students in elementary, middle and high school? help promote experiential learning. Um, I mean, I think it's, I I, I think a lot of it is, is examples, you know, Um, I, I talk to our admissions department a lot and talk to them about um, when we're doing orientation with our freshmen coming in, are we exposing them to, um, the surrounding areas, the surrounding communities, not just the white and affluent communities, but the black and brown communities or the, you know, the underutilized uh, places. And I think a lot of that starts there, you know, as a freshman, if you're now being directed to go to the bodega instead of going to Target, you know, or instead of going to somewhere else, you know, I think that makes a difference. And 
younger kids who may be in the bodega see you and you may interact and that now creates a relationship there um and that goes back to my old point of like making it real they see it they're seeing people in these positions and it's like they can attain to that now um i i think that's a lot of it um our co-op and service to neighbors and you know really i think has shaped and changed a lot of the mindset of a lot of our undergrad and graduate students because now they they have a certain perception of these communities and then they come in there and work in these communities and realize like oh my perception was all off you know now that word spreads you know like our, our students talk to each other um and now we've we found that for example our last student that was in our co-op service to neighbors with mission uh, mission hill organization graduated but then came back to boston and now works for that organization because they had such an opportunity they had such a great experience and they felt the impact from them just working there for a semester so i think those are the small things that kind of are the success stories and that we need more of um yeah yeah i think that's like really important i think at the center of all of this is I feel like so many times and there's been a lot of instances where we love to just fixate on the negative connotations of people or just fixate on the ways in which problems affect people negatively, but rather not how like we can actually fix them. Fix if that them. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. yep. and I think that's like even with your work and, and all the amazing things Northeastern is doing that's something that's at the center is yes, there needs to be room and more acknowledgement for these issues, but there also needs to be this much attention and speculation, if you will, on how we can do better and how we could do good and promote good. Yep. So it's really important that, and even with the work that we're doing, it's so important for us to discuss the problem, but also spend time discussing how you can be a solution and how you can be a piece and a puzzle, a puzzle piece to fix the greater issue as a whole. Yep. So yeah yeah and i you know scope goes back to access you know it's just we we always think at at especially at the large university level it's like we always feel like we need to help we need to go in and and be a help they need to come on campus and experience it it's like no we also need to go in the community and experience it it's a it's a two-way street and that's the only way this stuff works uh whether it be you know, engagement or experiential learning or whatever, um, you have to actually be on the ground and feel what the people are feeling in order to address those issues. Like, it's as simple as that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel like kind of like what you mentioned, leading by example is a first step. So you're kind of talking about the idea of colleges being on the ground, making sure that they're interacting with students in elementary, middle or high school specifically directly. And I think that's definitely a first step in what we want to see, making sure that they're really able to communicate hands on one on one with these students. Mm -hmm. And I think that could really promote a better outcome in experiential learning overall. Absolutely. Great. So this was great. Yes, I think with that, <laughs> we will be ending off today's episode. We were so grateful to have you here, Shamel. Is there anything else you want to add? No, you guys are doing amazing work. Um, super impressive. So keep it up. You know, hopefully you guys will be a Northeastern Husky student one day, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much again for joining us. And yeah.
hope to continue the conversation soon. Absolutely. Thank you.